So if uh, you've had five or less Christmases with Jesus, stand. Five or less. Wow, praise the Lord. All right. Awesome. Okay. How about uh, six to ten? Some of you are still doing the math, aren't you? <laughs> so, uh, six to ten. Hey, praise the Lord. Oh. All right. We'll, we'll, we'll widen it out now. How about ten to fifteen? Ten to fifteen years with Jesus. Wow. Oh, Uh, 15 to 20. This is kind of fun. I'm going to keep going. 15 to 20. Woo! Yeah. We're going to form little clubs after this. Uh, uh, 20 to 25. Here we're going. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for nice of you to come on in. There. Let's see, where did I leave off? Where did I leave off? 2025. That's where we need to go. Or that's where I left off. 25 to 30. We're going to have to open it up a bit. Kind of look around and see who our contemporaries are. Let's let's open it up. 30 to 40. 30 to 40. Oh. Praise God. Man, they always say 40 to 50. 40 to 50. Praise God. 40 to 50 years. 50 and up. How many of you know Jesus? 50 and up. Yeah. Don't you find that every year, though, when you sing these songs, that the reality hits again? I know in my mind, I try to you know, jump back to that first Christmas when I when I'd come to know what it was all about. Um, as Kayla was sharing with us last night, you know, there was that moment in her life where. I like the way she put it. I can't, I'm not going to get it quite like she did, but sort of like, yeah, I know about Jesus, but yay Santa kind of attitude. You know, it's like, yeah, we know about that story, but bring on the stuff. And, uh, and of course, in years past, being known as the Bah Humbug Pastor, uh, because I, I could get down pretty pretty far about all the commercialism and the, and the distortion that we deal with in the season. That troubles me deeply. I... I I last about five minutes in a mall at Christmas time because I hear it and I see it and I see the families and this, you know, just, I can't even hardly describe it. I end up outside. I haven't been to one this year, which has been very pleasant. Um, but I see the, the, where we've come to, you know, where we put the little manger scene in the corner if it's there at all. You know, we fought with retailers. You know, American Family Association, a lot of you are connected to them, Donald Wildman, and their continuing stand to just duke it out with commercialism head to head. You know, if Ford's doing something wrong or GM or some retailer, or how many of you got on the Costco thing this year? You know, Costco just said, we're not going to put Christmas on anything. It's just not going to be in any of our stores, it's not going to be in any of our labeling. We're not even going to acknowledge it, but they want you to shop there. Spend your money there, but they're not going to get into the deal. And, uh, you know, so we go after them and grab them by the financial throat and shake them a little bit and say, listen, you know, if we're going to buy from you, we want to see a little activity in our departments. And, and you think, boy, what is this all about? Where have we gone? You know, why are we duking it out on the commercial floors for territory that we already own? Amen? Amen. I mean, we don't have to get drug out there and get beat up and get into all the distorted arguments and the difficulties that exist we've got the truth right at home some here more than 50 years worth of it and when we sing we understand that you know Santa's kind of a new guy on the block compared in time he's really relatively new right what's he maybe 50 60 years old compared to the ancient of days that's all 50 60 
Yeah, I mean, wasn't he, uh, old, you know, Rudolph and all the guys? It was like an advertising campaign by, who was it? Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola used them hard. And, but, uh, you know, they were invented by one of the big retailers, J.C. Penney or somebody like that. Uh, back in the mid '50s, I think you know. Here he comes on the scene and takes and pushes the manger scene out to the side and hops us into a sleigh and takes us to the North Pole. And yeah, I like some of that stuff. It's fun. But uh, we, I know, it's probably old enough now. We taught the kids that Santa was just a turkey. <laughs> and uh, I still remember walking through the mall one time with them little or pushing them in strollers. I don't know. They were you little. And they, hey, look, there's Turkey Man. <laughs> You know, guys on the guys sitting there on his break, you know, just kind of taking it easy. Go well, look, Turkey Man. And I guess we we're teaching them; and they're remembering. But uh, you know, there's lots of ways to look at the holiday. If you've had a lot of holidays with Jesus, a lot of Christmas with Jesus, you've had plenty of time to look at it from lots of angles. And uh, I'm going to ask you a Bible question. Ready? Bible trivia. If you were here last night, you can't. Uh, Get it too involved. Don't tip the scales for us. There are four Gospels, right? Don't be afraid to answer this one. How many Gospels? Are there four? Okay, all right. How many believe there's four Gospels? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Okay. Boy, <coughs> get the trivia thing. People get a little nervous about, you know, it's just a trick question. Okay. The next one is not a trick question. It's just a real question. And I'll, I'll put up my fingers. Okay, the question is, how many of the Gospels give us the record of the birth of Jesus? I'm going to say it's one. I'm going to say it was two. We're still on committal. Three. How many say all four? Some of you are not even in the room. Are we recording this? Are you at home listening on the on the internet? Did you raise your fingers? <laughs> Answer is two. Okay. Two. Let's turn to the one that's called Luke. Matthew and Luke. So maybe you can just remember it's every other one starting at Matthew. Matthew, skip one, Luke. No. Luke. Today I'd like to look at the birth of Jesus and call it Merry Christmas. And let's change Mary to M-A-R-Y. This was Mary's first Christmas, wasn't it? Mary's first Christmas. I apologized last week for sniffling. I didn't know why I was. All week long I found out why I was. And it's still hanging on. So forgive me. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. The sixth month of what? The sixth month of her her relative's pregnancy. Because we have Gabriel earlier in the first chapter who appears to Elizabeth, who's well advanced in years, her and her husband, both in the priesthood, both descendants of the Levitical line, excuse me, and Gabriel's been sent from the very presence of God to speak with this couple, um, specifically about the birth of John the Baptist. And now we find Gabriel being sent again from the presence of God to speak to Mary. Now, I'm going to insert some things along the way in the storyline because we've been looking at building a good biblical worldview, right? A lot of us in the Truth Project, and we've been spending our time and our messages on getting a strong foundation of having a view of the world that comes from Scripture. And this is one of the powerful components of having a biblical worldview. It is this. We believe in a spiritual dimension that we don't often see. We believe in angels. We believe in demons. We believe in, and I mean, we don't make them happen because we believe in them. They're there whether we believe in them or not. And this is an incredible moment of Scripture that says, here's Gabriel who stays in the presence of God, and God dispatches him to go make announcements. And Gabriel showed up to 
Zacharias in the, on the side of the altar of incense as he was in there serving his priesthood duty. And it tells him about John the Baptist going to be born to this elderly couple. And uh, supernatural, we believe in the supernatural. What does supernatural mean? It's not interpreted as spooky. Just take the word apart. Super means above. Natural. It's the supernatural. We can only go so far in our limited ability, but when we become Christians and we give our hearts to Christ, we become supernatural. We are living in a realm that is above the natural three dimensions that we generally walk and touch and feel and smell and taste and all that in. We become spiritual beings. Jesus said you must be born again. And thank God for these who stood up this morning and say, this is my first Christmas, being born again in, in Him and understanding what it's about. So this is a, a maybe goes by in a verse, but we need to park for a second and say, whoa, I get it now. This is how I'm forming part of my biblical worldview. There are angels, and they do real things. I share the story, and some of you would have a story like this to tell. I've heard a couple already, and some didn't come out as well as mine. But driving down, uh, I think we determined it was Sugarloaf Boulevard. Anybody really up above uh, Dead Man's Curve? If you don't take the curve and you go straight up the hill as high as you can, that street is Sugarloaf, I believe. You turn left and take off east. How I mean, you know it is Roller Coaster Road? And in the summertime, we, you guys, I mean... We used to just barrel down that road, and it's like, well, now it's full of snow, and I'm coming the other way, and I turn, and I'm heading up that hill, and I get to the top. It's one lane wide in the snow, and coming at me is a little Kubota tractor and a car right behind. So I, I nudge into the bank like we do and let the other guy go by. You do that, don't you? And uh, the guy on the tractor you know, waves and says, thank you, and then, and I, and then I get eye-to-eye contact with the little car, and here's this... Young lady, chains on, little, I don't like a little Honda, just white-knuckled and frozen at the wheel. And I thought, oh, no, a, a novice. And, I, and I'm stationary. I'm, I can't defend myself. And, and so I'm watching, and sure enough, she hits the ruts, and, zzz, zzz, and, and here comes her car. Shh, right? Slow motion, you know. There's nothing moving very fast. I'm looking out my window and it's like eight inches here. And I, we're like window to window. And I'm in the van up here looking down at this little car. And she's like, huh? <laughs> you almost see her hyperventilating, you know. And uh, <clears throat> presence of mind, I think. We're both stopped. But she's not going to stay stopped long. So what's my move? Man, I hit the gas. About, I got a little room, there's a bank, I can make it, slid around, got around behind her, and she was stuck. So we stopped and waited and made sure she got out. And as we were driving off, I said to Peggy, boy, thank God for skinny angels. <laughs> you know, because when you have a biblical worldview, you realize nothing's really happening by chance. And there's spiritual activity happening. Now, last night I reviewed that story in my own heart and I've corrected. I thought, not a skinny angel, probably just one huge angel and just put his finger in there. <laughs> you know, let's make him a little bigger. But I realized my life, I'm not in charge of my own life all the time. You're not in charge of your life all the time. We live in a spiritual world. And when we come to Christ, things start happening differently. And we don't walk through it blind anymore. We are surprised by it occasionally when things go wrong and we wonder why. Uh, and uh, we, we know there's a spiritual warfare to be fought. Okay, I have to get back to the Bible here. Uh, I've made it through one verse. Gabriel shows up in Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and he shall call his name Jesus. He'll be great and will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David.
And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One, who is to be born, will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. And then Mary said, And Lord, help us to be like this. Behold the hand servant of the Lord, the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Mary, now we've got some conjecture here, a little speculation, but we're not too far out of bounds in building this, is that uh, since how we've been kind of answering age-bound questions this morning, um, how many of you think Mary was about 12? Hmm, how many of you give her about 13 or 14? How many of you want to make her 15? 16? 27? <laughs> Betrothed <clears throat> means you're promised, espoused. Um, <laughs> we, we had a small group last night, so we actually put the chairs in a circle and kind of ran out like a cell on Saturday night. It was great. It was fun. And uh, so we were, I said, what are some other words we use for that? You know, betrothed, espoused. <laughs> Somebody said strapped. <laughs> I said, well, so it was the first thing that came to my mind. <laughs> I said, okay. But a betrothal meant you're as good as married. It's like courtship. The promise has been made. It's just a matter of finishing the job of, of having the ceremony and becoming married. And so from the betrothal state, you would actually need to perform a divorce if it was necessary to stop it. And if you, this is where we tie in Matthew's gospel in the storyline. I like this about the Bible, um, is that it's such a marvelous book that God can move on the hearts of various authors over the period of years that it's put together, and yet it tells one story. Not every one of them has all of it, yet together it's the whole story. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found the child of the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. What this indicates is because they were betrothed, in order for him to put her away, it meant that he had to publicly declare that there was something wrong with her and that he could require a divorce in that process. But being a just man, a kind man, a loving man, he thought, well, there's got to be a way that I can, I have to put her away. You know, I have to divorce her, but I like to do it privately, secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. This comes from Isaiah chapter 7 and chapter 8. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took took to him his wife. And did not know her until she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Did not know her. Gnosko in the Greek means a knowledge that comes with relationship. A knowledge that brings two uh, things together. And that because of their coming together, there's springs from that relationship. It's a knowing knowledge. It's an experiential knowledge. And in this case, it's used by the writers in more than one place to talk about the sexual intimacy that comes from marriage. And by the way, did you know Jesus had four brothers and at least two sisters? Because the Bible just says his sisters. So that means there had to be at least two. So that's a pretty good-sized family. And also, knowing that... um, 
Have you ever heard of Immaculate Conception? How many of you think you know what it means? Trick question. If you're Catholic, you might. If you, if you used to be Catholic. Um, immaculate Conception, so you don't get caught in it, is, is the teaching of the Catholic Church that Mary was sinless. And then in order for Jesus to be born sinless, his mother would have had to have been sinless, and therefore she was the product of an Immaculate Conception. But this isn't in the Scripture. And besides, if, I mean, even a simpleton like me can figure this out, that if she had to be sinless, then her mom would have had to have been sinless, and her mom would have had to have been sinless, and her mom would have had to have been sinless, and it's not going to work out very well. So it's, it's a doctrinal position that's taken by the Catholic Church that I'm definitely opposed to. The only immaculate conception that exists is Jesus himself. Born sinless, lived sinless, died having never sinned. But when he died on the cross, took my sins and your sins into his own body and nailed them to the cross forever. And that's what sets us free. Is that the one who had no sin became sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. Oh, come on, look in the mirror a little different tomorrow. We are the righteousness of Christ. Verse 39, Luke chapter 1, Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth, her cousin. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. Six months pregnant. Mary's just found out she's pregnant. Joseph's just found out they're pregnant. Mary makes a trip. I'm going to throw in that she was about 15. Here's how I would come to that, and I'm not the final say. By any means, there are those that actually would tell us that she could have been 12 to 13. And we discussed the whole issue of what uh, we can look around our world at cultures and what cultures have developed uh, that support a belief system, you know, the outworking of a belief system. The Jews in Judaism have the bar mitzvahs and the bat mitzvahs. At about 12 years old, we see the scripture talking about Jesus being down at the temple with his parents at 12. That's where the storyline picks up on the life of Christ. So there's this moment around 12 where it's indicated that a youth would move and, uh, using a big word that I learned one time, matriculate, to move from youth to adulthood. What's another culture that gives us a period of transition from youth to adulthood for the girls? Yeah, quinceañera. The Latinos, uh-huh, 15. And at 15, huge ceremonies are had, uh, bigger than weddings. Uh, I love to be at them. I've danced with a couple of those quinceañera girls at their 15s, and uh, it's been a blast. They go through the whole ceremony, got a pillow they put their feet on, and part of the ceremony is they come and take off the shoes of youth and put on a pair of women's shoes. And uh, with the statements that accompany and say, you know, from now on, you'll no longer walk the earth as a child, but now you walk as a woman. And so we can see that there are cultural statements that are made surrounding this same. I think they come from this event of trying to determine where Mary's age was. You got a 15-year-old girl, just found out she's pregnant. She's unmarried. She's poor. She's unknown on earth, but well-known in heaven. She's poor on the earth, but she's treasured in heaven. Unmarried, but betrothed, and I see us as the church waiting for the marriage supper of the Lamb, waiting for the day when we, the bride of Christ, are united with our bridegroom. She takes off from Nazareth, and if you look on you know, the maps in the back of your Bible, you'll find Nazareth up in the north of Israel. And if you come down about 
80 or 90 miles, you hit Jerusalem and Bethlehem. And if you go further down, you find Hebron. You go about a little, nearly 100 miles, maybe a little further, is Hebron. This is the hill country of Judah. This is where Elizabeth lives. So you have a 15-year-old girl traveling on foot, right? Or by some other, there wasn't a tram available. And uh, no smart cars or any of that. Traveled 100 miles to her cousin's house, walks in. And immediately as she says, I'm here. Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. We're talking about supernatural things here. Holy Ghost movement. She's filled with the Spirit. And in my reading of this, I'm going to give it to you this way. She begins to prophesy. Under the anointing and under the presence of the Holy Spirit, begins to speak prophetically of what's happening in her doorway. There's no account that Mary got there a day before and told her all the details. She just begins to speak in the supernatural moment another confirmation of Mary's pregnancy from a woman who also was visited by the same angel Gabriel and told that she would become pregnant in her old age. And God is building uh, what I would call an impenetrable package of truth for you and I to stand on and to understand that this isn't just a story. This is an account of reality that our lives hang on. And at this time of year when we're celebrating it, that's why I, I tend to pull back inside of that and say, you know, I don't have to submit to the cultural norms of, of you know, unrest and tension and pressure and time and get it done and where's UPS and where's the FedEx truck and, and get out of my way. That was mine. And, you know, trampling Walmart greeters to death because of materialism. It's just, I mean, I don't have to do this. I've got this incredible truth and solidity for my life, the stability that can never be moved. And I can relax in knowing Christ. And she begins to speak by the power of the Holy Spirit. You're blessed among all women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. I don't think she was showing yet. Do you? Do you go there in your thoughts? I mean, you actually live this out and you... Pick the story apart and go, wow, what would it have looked like? Plain little, poor, 15-year-old Jewish girl. I was on the internet this morning looking at a testimony of a little Jewish girl that had just done something for her bat mitzvah. Uh, she supplied enough uh, boxes of clothes and candies and this stuff to supply for her bat mitzvah. She selected this as, as an event to celebrate. She supplied everything needed for a troop one of our troops overseas, 200 guys. She raised enough money to send them all something for Christmas. And I thought, yeah, isn't that heartwarming? And I'm looking at this picture online of this, this little Jewish girl. And I'm thinking, golly, probably not much different than Mary. Elizabeth makes a huge statement in verse 43. Why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? She's declaring by the Spirit that the baby in this womb is her Lord. And when you think about Mary, stretch it out. She finally comes to the manger scene and delivers Jesus. And and to her, her firstborn is born. I mean, this is her baby. But she's going to live the rest of her days and his days with him. She's going to accompany him for the rest of his life. She's going to be there at the cross. She's going to be at the grave. She's going to be at the resurrection. She's going to be in the upper room waiting for the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the outpouring. She is going this whole gamut. She said, "As whatever the Lord says, I'm going to do it. She told the servants at that wedding in Galilee, in Cana, right? She said, whatever he says, just do it. That's a mark that we should carry in our lives. Whatever he says, just do it. He had that line before Nike got it. So be it to me. Whatever the word of the Lord is, let it be so unto me. And she gives birth to a baby who becomes her Savior. What an incredible transition. And Mary begins to sing at what we call the Magnificat. 
in verse 46. And if you'd like, I could sing it for you. How many would like that? How many would not like that? Good, good. Second group gets it. (laughs) My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit is rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. He who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her house. That means that just prior, I would think, to Elizabeth giving birth to John the Baptist, she you know, said, well, you and Zacharias need to have this baby, and I'm going to go home now. And she made that 100-plus mile trek back up to Nazareth as his forerunner was being born. Not just his relative, but the one who would go before him in the power of the Spirit announcing that the Messiah has come and we all need to be baptized and be ready for him. John the Baptist. Chapter 2. It came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census took, first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, every one to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And so it was while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Familiar story to many of us. When God wants to get something done, he is the sovereign. Now Caesar Augustus and the Roman Empire that was in rule at the time, you know, Caesar was referred to as God. He was God on the earth. And so the God of heaven and earth moves on the little God of earth and says, you need to declare a census. God is in charge of nations and men's hearts and kings' minds. God is above all. And he knows everything. And he says, hmm, I'm not sure he was... Strapped with looking for an idea, as I might appear, but said, let's see, we need to get Joseph down to Bethlehem. Because there's prophecy that has to be fulfilled. Back in Micah, Micah's prophesying about this little town, and we sang it, O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. And uh, remember later on when the Magi come and quiz King Herod, hey, we're here to see this uh, new king of the Jews. Hmm, new king of the Jews, huh? Where is he supposed to be born? The scriptures say... A little town of Bethlehem. Well, Mary's way up here in the north. Bethlehem's 80, 90 miles away. Well, let's just use the king of Rome. Let's just move on Caesar. Let's let him arrange everything. He declares the census and Joseph's on the move. Takes Mary with him. What am I saying? I'm just telling you the story in a different way. But when I look at it, I think God is in charge. Of kings and nations, governing authorities. I could shift real quick, and it is part of the message. I'm not going to go into it too far, but during this season of our generation, we're in a political change point. The nation's shifting. There are a lot of things that are happening around us. We've just come through an election. Less than a month we'll have, uh, well, actually it's a month, isn't it? What's the day today? 21? First day of Christmas, or uh, winter, excuse me. First day of winter, so in in a month we'll have an inauguration for a new president. Political change. We're in a period of economic downturn. People want to avoid the R word, recession. You know how to define a recession? Um, 
You know, a downturn in the economy is when other, other people are losing their jobs. A recession is when I lose mine. And, uh, you know, economic times are troubled. Um, whole futures have been wiped out in Kios and IRAs and retirement plans. And some of them have been whacked right in half. Some of them have just liquidated and disappeared. And literally by the billions of dollars have just gone overnight, basically. And we're surrounded by the continuing need of the poor. And those who are less than, as the cult- our culture might view them, people who are less than somebody else, by whatever standard they're using. We have all of it. And yet when I look at Mary's Christmas, she kind of, for me, states all those things. She was in a political environment that she couldn't control. She was poor. She was in an economy that she couldn't control. She was, could have been among those who were looked down upon for being pregnant and unmarried. She was just a kid, after all. And yet her hope and the truth of what was happening in her life and the favor of God upon her and the specific love and care of her Heavenly Father lifts her to sing this song that says God has exalted the lowly and put the high ones down. God has fed the hungry and let the rich go hungry. God has turned the tables because I had no way of doing this myself. God who cares for me has turned it all upside down. Remember when the disciples were preaching and they got accused of these men have come here and they're turning the whole world upside down? That's what God's good at. Actually, what he's doing, he's turning the world right side up. Putting things in proper order. Do you know that Mary's song is a reflection of the song that Hannah sang in 1 Samuel chapter 1? She was also barren and went to pray for a a child. And when God granted her a child, she sang this song. And I believe that Mary, even though young, was well-schooled in her Jewish roots. And when this happened to her, she could hear that song of Hannah in her heart and mind that she knew so well. And she began to sing it on her own. And interpret it for herself. You can look that up in your own history. So God moves on whole nations to bless his people. God changes times and circumstances. God is not out of control in this season of your life. You may think he's moved to another universe. And that he's on vacation. That you've been crying out to him and he's not answering. But he is not out of control. Shepherds out in the fields. It says they were living out there. I always had it in my mind they were just sort of visiting. (laughs) You know, they're out temporarily doing their sheep. They were living out there, the Bible says. And uh, I don't know know if you got to see the video at the beginning, but she made a pretty good angel in the video there. Um, Angels appearing. Here we are back to a biblical worldview of spiritual activity that's becoming manifest to the natural man. There it is happening right in the heavens. The shepherds are shaken. All this is happening. And in the meantime, Joseph is saying, push, Mary, push. (laughs) I mean, God is orchestrating an incredible event. And after this glory of the highest and all the angels are singing, the angels, and it's gone, wraps up like the northern lights, you know. And they look at each other and say, let's go check it out. And they run into the city. And the angel said, you're going to find a baby wrapped in a manger. These guys knew where all the mangers were. They were shepherds. They were feeding troughs. They were stables. These guys frequented these places. They go, we know where to look. And here's Mary wiping the sweat off her brow, and they're wrapping the baby up, and in bursts a bunch of shepherds. Ladies, isn't that how you would have liked it? I mean, you were yelling at maybe the one guy in the room that caused this for you to get out. <laughs> Or you had all of his face or something. You know. <laughs> Things are just mopping up and in come the shepherds. And Now, Mary could have been very, very offended by the moment, right? But hey, the whole city was crowded. People didn't have any place to stay. Well, there's another group of guys looking for a night's sleep. Like we were, Joseph. Let's not bug him. But they come in and they begin to testify. These simple men. 
These are not the prestigious in the society, are they? The shepherds. Very, very needed. Everybody wanted them. And they weren't the prestigious group. You know, it wasn't the city council that showed up. And uh, here they come in and they start saying, angels announced to us out there in the fields that we would find this happening. Angels told us right out of the heavens singing, glory in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill. We're here to tell you that this is the one. We didn't know you were here. You didn't even know you would be here tonight. And yet God is bringing in a confirming word from shepherds to say this is the one. Mary doesn't get offended. She's not upset. The Bible records for us that she simply takes these things and treasures them in her heart. And we find that Mary does this all through her life. Things are happening. She's not fully in control. She doesn't always understand. She's growing like you're growing in Christ. She's taking it a step at a time. She's moving with Him as He moves. Uh, you know, at the wedding we mentioned earlier, she's saying, hey, you know, bud, they're out of wine. Hey, it's not my time, Mom. Yeah? Well, maybe it should be. <laughs> you know, good Jewish mom. Eh, what do you know? You're just a kid. Goes to the servants. Whatever he says, do it. I don't know. You know, I, I changed the story. Some of this is extra biblical. You've got to be careful listening to me. Because there are those moments when you know, I, I see you know, Mary moving things along like every good mom does. I say, well, maybe you should. And Jesus is like, okay, mom, okay. She's growing. And all along the way, she, the Bible tells us that Mary takes these things and she treasures them in her heart treasures them in her heart. She doesn't go, I don't believe this is happening. What are these shepherds doing in my birthing center? I mean, you know, what is all this mess going on? How come I couldn't get the Hilton? I mean, it's the Son of God. Come on, this should be a high event deal. You know, it should be media and everything happening. No, she's just happy to take what God is doing in a miraculous way and store it in her heart. The shepherds, after they come and confirm that this is the will of God and this is the Messiah. They go out and they start telling everybody. And we're all the way to verse 21. And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. I, I just can't read through this fast anymore. I'm applying this to you in my heart, my mind this morning. Jesus had his name before he was conceived. We've got other records throughout the scripture of prophets, same, same testimony. Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Psalm 139, I was in the, in the secret places. God wove me together before ever I had one day. Before I ever came to be, God knew all the number of my days well, if he knew the number of my days, he surely knew my name. And you can't always lift this up and apply it to somebody else and leave yourself out of the picture. Come on. It's not always about the other guy. Jesus knows you. He knows every day you live. He knows every breath you take. The Bible says it's so intimate that he knows the number of the hairs on your head. And we love the joke about how he has to do a recount every time we take a shower. And, uh, but the amazing part of that is he doesn't do a recount. Because the implication in the scripture is that he doesn't just know the total number that are there and needs a recount after the shower. It's that he knows which one is which. I mean, if I reach up and grab that one right there and pull it out, God knows what number it is. I don't. But maybe it's 720. Now I'm short 720. He's intimate. He knows you. Whether the economy's up or the economy's down. Whether you lost half your Kia or your IRA. Whether your job's teetering on the edge of disappearing. Whether your house is going to be repossessed. Whether your car's gone the way of the dodo bird. If anybody knows what a dodo bird is anymore. Whether you don't feel good or whether you feel good. Whether life is great or whether it's the pits. He can move kings and nations. He can set circumstances into your favor that quick. If you and I could respond and see Christmas like Mary. Ah, I'm going to treasure all these things in my heart. 
And whatever the Lord says, that's what I want to have happen for me. And a lot of things that we go through, we, we may be unnecessary because we don't know what the book says. We live in a spiritual dimension. We mentioned that earlier, right? And so when some things go wrong, we understand that the activity of the enemy of our soul is underfoot. That the devil has come to erode and to steal and to kill and to uh, take away things that God has given to us. And we need to stand up and fight. There are scriptures and passages in the Bible like Ephesians chapter 6 that talk about putting on the whole armor of God and standing with the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit and defending your position in Christ. You've got to duke it out with the enemy sometimes. You need to take some ground and hang on to it. You're not just a victim through life. Amen? Amen. Thank you. <laughs> you know, the story continues with after, the, after he's circumcised and named and the 30 days of purification come to a close for Mary, which was under the law, and they go make the trip up to Jerusalem from Bethlehem. And they go to the temple to offer the sacrifice that's required because the firstborn male that opens the womb is holy to God according to the scriptures. And you have to go to the temple and present him as the holy dedicated one to God. And, if, uh, and then you have to present sacrifice to turtle doves and, and uh, make that a gift to God and sacrifice in honor of this child that you're now going to take home and raise. And so they come into the temple and the Bible records for us that there's this old guy He's a prophet. He loves God. And he has a promise from God. He has a word from God. A rhema, we would call it. The difference between logos and rhema. A logos is the whole written scripture. The rhema is when it lifts out and God speaks it to us and it becomes life-giving source for us. He had a rhema from God that he would not die until he saw the Messiah. Whoo! What a Of all the guys of all time, this guy was close to God. You're not going to die until you see the Son of Consolation. And the Bible records for us in this chapter that being led by the Spirit, that's what I like about being a part of a Spirit-filled church, is that we actually believe that the Holy Spirit can lead us and that we can walk in a supernatural life above the natural. There are times when we close our eyes and walk by faith because the Bible says we walk by faith, not by sight. This man being led by the Holy Spirit goes to the temple. It's not his day to be there. He's not on duty. He doesn't have a part to do. But, you know, every day people would bring babies and they would have sacrifices and the priests were on duty to do those things. It wasn't his turn. But being led by the Spirit, he says, I'm going to go down to the office. Has that ever happened to you? Does God ever leave you, lead you to go to the office? No, I'm just kidding. I mean, if God was going to lead me, I don't think he'd say, lead me to the office. Would he make me go to work? Okay. okay. He walks in and there, the connection's made. He says, there he is. And he takes, he takes over. He says, We're gonna do, I'm going to do this one. Guys, you got all the rest of you priests, you can just relax. I got this one. He takes Jesus and he says, now, he's just having a conversation with God. He's almost leaving Joseph and Mary as spectators. Well, now I can come home in peace because you've let me see the Messiah. This is him. Joseph and Mary are still taking all this in. I mean, she's just a month delivered. And, wow, here's a guy we don't know, perfect stranger, just a priest of Jerusalem. We're not even from the area. We're from up north. This guy walks in and says, this is the one. You don't have to tell me. I'm telling you. This is the Messiah. And now I'm going to go home in peace. Life is good. As soon as he's done, Anna, this 84-year-old widow, the Bible says she'd been married for seven years and become a widow. And from, from that point in her life until she was 84, she did nothing but just fast and pray and made God her husband. Very highly spiritual gal, you know. 84, she comes in and she says the same thing. Oh, this is the one. This is the Messiah. And what does Mary do? She treasures all these things in her heart.
Verse 33, and Joseph and his and Jesus by the Mary, uh, mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary's mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And he announces to her prophetically that while this is a joyous occasion we're standing in now, and for me it's the it's the promotion of me getting to go home in peace. I've seen the Son of Consolation. I've seen the Messiah. And he's destined for the rise and fall of many, but he looks at Mary and says, But Mary, this is a happy day, but there are other days coming when this sword's going to pierce your heart. He's not going to be received. He's not going to be well received. He's not going to be, you know, your, your little firstborn baby forever. He's going to grow up. And a sword is going to pierce your heart. And she lived that out. If you've seen Mel Gibson's passion, you see it so beautifully portrayed, the distress of her life in the moment of his crucifixion. Verse 39, So when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own city, Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong in the spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. And a verse later, 12 years have gone by. Now this may be a stretch for you, but would you say something, with, just repeat this after me. Cool. cool. Now spell it with a K and say it again. Cool. cool. Comes out the same. Yeah. Psalm fifty-five twenty-two gives us the definition of cool. Cast your burden on the Lord and he shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. Psalm 55, 22. Cast your burden on the Lord and he shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved or to be shaken. The word sustain in the Hebrew is pronounced cool. It's C-H-U-L in the English spelling. Cool, huh? Let me tell you what this word means. It means to maintain, to nourish. And would you just stop for a moment think about your station in life right now, your situation. And you're wondering if there's going to be another paycheck. You're wondering if the last one's going to be good. You're wondering if there's, as we used to say, you know, <clears throat> How, how do they say the ends? The ends don't quite meet. And I used to say, "Man, mine are standing up and waving at each other." You know, they're so far apart. Your conditions are changing. The economy's swapping out on you in a way you hadn't planned. The political environment's different than you maybe hoped for, or maybe it's exactly what you hoped for. But nonetheless, it's in change. Things are in transition. There's a lot of wonder about tomorrow and maybe even combined with some fear. And you're saying, where's God in all of this for me? And I just want to say to you that God's still cool. He can sustain you and he will. Because this says he will never permit the righteous to be shaken or to be moved. Cool. To maintain, nourish, Provide food, bear, hold up, protect, support, and defend. To supply the means necessary for living. God is cool. And he is your sustainer. And in this season of, you know, I like to say it's kind of a quick transition in, in the message. And maybe it's not really good preaching this morning. And I, I give myself that today but Mary was poor Mary was young Mary didn't have a station in life uh, <clears throat> Mary had a lot of things against her in her culture being betrothed but yet unmarried and pregnant she didn't really have a 
a home much to speak of. Uh, when she did finally get Joseph to agree with what God had said, and he took her to be his wife, they immediately were on the move, homeless, <laughs> traveling on the road. I mean, it didn't stop there. They made it from there. Then they uh, says we went quickly back to Nazareth, but in that small verse, they made a giant trip to Egypt, and uh, you know, babies were slaughtered in Bethlehem, and. And Herod was on the move trying to find Jesus and kill him. And the Magi were showing up later and a lot of other stuff in the storyline. But here's Mary. I mean, she's still just this 15, 16, 17 years old. Jesus is growing. Uh, family's going to expand soon with these other brothers and sisters coming in. And, and they're still on foot. And finally, they make it back into their own country out of Egypt, fulfilling other prophecy where God said, I will call my son out of Egypt. And so here Jesus comes out of Egypt. And they come back and they find that Herod's son is now the ruler. And so they're a little afraid to settle down in the area near Jerusalem. So they go on back and they station themselves back in Joseph's hometown and her hometown in Nazareth again. And I see an unsettled, in a cultural sort of way, a very unsettled young woman. And yet she's been lifted off the planet by the power of God, if you will, and said, I've chosen this one, and I'm going to put my absolute favor upon her, and I'm going to sustain her, and Joseph, and the family, and my son. I am the sustenance of all of these. And so I just want you to remember that God is cool. And uh, next time somebody says cool, say, yes, God is sustaining me also. God is my sustainer. Earlier in the same chapter, Psalm 55, the psalmist says in 16, As for me, I will call upon God, and the Lord shall save me. Evening and morning and at noon, I will pray and cry aloud, and He shall hear my voice. He has redeemed my soul in peace from the battle that was against me, for there were many against me. We get those times in our life when we feel like that. Everything's coming against us. Nothing's coming for us. It's all coming against us. Things are rough. Things are tough. And yet... God is going to be cool for us. We're not much different than Mary in lots of ways. The Bible said he didn't chose, choose the, you know, the, the wise of the earth. I, I volunteered. I'm not the wisest. He didn't pick the high and the mighty. He picked us, the lowly. And he decided to put his favor upon our lives. And for this today we are grateful. To be saved and to have our sins forgiven. To know that the baby Jesus grew up to fulfill the rest of the story. Go to the cross and make a way for us through the resurrection to be with him forever. There's more to this season than just getting filled with unrest and pressure. And being pushed and having to deal with relatives. Amen? Father, I pray that you would grant us the peace that is supposed to be ours at this season. That peace that the angels sang of, peace on earth, goodwill to men. Lord, the grace of your presence that would provide for us the peace that passes all understanding, that gives us a settledness in the moment of our distress. It gives us a position in the spirit that is far beyond the one we might have in the natural. Lord, whether we're poor, whether we're lonely, whether we're alone, God, that you would set us into families in the body of Christ. That you would give us your mercies that are new every morning. Lord, would you strike a song in our heart like you did in Mary's in response to what you're doing in our lives. When you confirm your direction in us, Lord, let us lift our voice and say thank you for all that you've done. God, would you also open a door for us to speak these things to others. Lord, fix it into our heart, even though we've not spent much time here today, that you are cool. You are the sustainer. You are the one that's taking care of us. And we have really no worries. 
Take us back, Jesus, to when you taught and said, look at the birds of the air, the flowers of the field. Not even Solomon in all that he had was arrayed like these, and they're not worried about tomorrow. Help us to rest and to rejoice in this season. Help us to be like Mary who said, whatever your word is, let it be so unto me. And then help us to treasure up in our hearts all that you're doing till we come to the final day of coming to be with you. In Jesus' name, amen.